Hey, thanks, Brian. It was a great lyric, like when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for, shed for us his precious blood. Like, praise, praise the Lord for that. Um, well, good morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And good news for all of you today is I am not going to be speaking today. Um, can I give an amen or something? Yeah, there you go. Uh, you might have seen this in the weekly, but uh, a group of five of us pastors um, from our network met um, this weekend over in Lincoln City, and two of them survived to tell about it. Uh, two of them had to go home because they have Sunday services this morning, but Chris Schuett in the back, you want to stand up, Chris, uh, from, from Sheridan, Wyoming, he's planning a church there, it's about three years old. He's taking, uh, he's taking recruits if anybody wants to go to Sheridan and help him out. And then Grant, um, Grant Gubster, um, is going to be speaking to us today from... I, I just want you guys to know they never applaud for me. <laughs> uh, in your heart you do? Oh, okay, okay. That's what really counts. That's what really counts. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, Grant's going to be open in the Word. He's pastoring a church. And how old is how old is Mountain View Bozeman? Uh, about three years old. Three years old too. Mm-hmm. So in Bo- Bozeman, Montana. So all mm-hmm. the way from Bozeman, Montana. Grant Gubser. I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, you're on. Great. So. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Steve's held us captive all week. I mean, he's been captivating all week. It's nice to see Steve in person. I met him once last year, but it was like a handshake. And, uh, and then we've gotten a chance to get to know each other, you know, over this past year through Zoom. But it's nice to see, like, the three-dimensional Steve. And, I mean, we got the full three-dimension of Steve this weekend. It was awesome. Um, yeah, so it's a blessing to be here. Just a little bit um, about me. I've been all over the country. People ask where I'm from. I never really know what to say. I claim Texas when it's convenient. I was born there. But I moved when I was three years old. So unless I'm talking to a Texan, I don't usually tell people, you know, that I'm from Texas. Um, I moved around to Georgia and then Florida and Tennessee and Illinois and Arkansas and then Colorado and then Virginia and now Montana. So uh, I say that in case you want to make a connection with me later. You can say, oh, I've been to one of those states. Um, uh, so, you know, I've traveled around a good bit, but the, the Northwest is a really cool place, and it's not a place I've ever lived, and I, I've only visited a couple times, so, uh, but I've loved getting a chance to see your neighborhood, to see your, you know, your town. McMinnville is, is a really cool place, and uh, we went hiking in the woods uh, yesterday, and it's just amazing. You guys have some of the most beautiful um, natural resources here. It's just, it's amazing just seeing the ocean and uh, so you guys are, are in a really, really cool place. It's been fun to be here. Um, yeah, like Steve said, our church is about three years old. We're part of the Crossway Network. And so um, I had a friend from seminary. I went to Denver Seminary, and I had a friend. Um, he was one of my professors, Ashley Denton. And he's, he, uh, he was at a church in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, their church had this vision to plant churches in the Rocky Mountain region, to plant churches in college towns. And the reason to plant churches in college towns, well, uh, for one, college, college students are, they're used to change, and they're open to worldviews, and a lot of times, it's when you get to college that you start to think about what you really believe, and, and so college students are really often open to the gospel, which is really cool. And, uh, and the vision is, you know, you get, you get a chance to tell the gospel to a college student, and they accept Christ, and they follow him, 
then you can train them and equip them and, Lord willing, send them out to plant more churches. And, and that's the vision. But the idea of a college student planting, planting churches being part of that, a lot of times we think that you have to have this, like, real significant call to ministry. You know, like, well, if I'm going to do anything important in life, then I need to be a pastor, right? Or I need to be a missionary. And, and we actually want to teach... Teach opposite is like, no, actually all people are called to carry the gospel. Like, if you follow Jesus, then that means you are his hands and feet wherever you go in whatever vocation you have. But this idea that college students are often like free agents, right? They, they don't, they're not tied down to a family or a career usually. And so we, we like to say, hey, look, if you're going to be an accountant, um, why don't you think like missionally about being an accountant? And you know we're going to be planting a church in you know Salt Lake City or Boise, Idaho or Missoula, Montana. Why don't you look for a job in Missoula, right? And look for an accounting job in Missoula and move there and help us plant a church there. And so that's sort of the vision that we have. And when Ashley told me about that vision for the church, uh, it just got me so excited. And he asked if I would help um, help lead the church with him. And so my family and I moved out to uh, Bozeman, Montana about a year and a half ago, and it's been just a wild ride. It's been really fun. Um, So I have a couple photos I wanted to show you. Um, First photo is just uh, us pastors meeting. I think we took that yesterday when there's a little bit of sunshine for like 15 minutes. And, uh, you know, I'm on the left, and uh, that guy in the middle is Steve. And uh, good looker. And then we got um, Ben, who's up in Tacoma. And we got Chris, who just stood up. And then Ryan. And Ben and, ben and uh, Ryan are pastors at Summit Church in Tacoma, Washington. So that was really fun. We got a chance to pray. And, and really the hope, we're part of Crossway Network. The hope is that we pastors can actually have just a, a good, strong relational a relationship with one another. We can pray for one another, encourage one another, and then also really think strategically about how we could be maybe planting more churches and uh, encouraging one another in that. So those are the pastors. This next picture is a picture of our church after we met uh, a few weeks ago. So we meet in a basketball gym right now. And uh, something I love about our church is that after the service is over, people just keep hanging out and talking with one another for almost like an hour after the service is over. And, um, and I just thought that was, that, that's something that I really appreciate. And it seems to be a, a community of people that really like being with one another, which is cool. Um, I haven't always had that growing up, and I've been in a lot of churches, and not every church actually likes hanging out with one another, <laughs> you know? And then I, I want to show a picture of my family. Um, that's my wife, Brittany. We've been married for 15 and a half years. Um, we have four kids. My uh, oldest is Lively. She's on the right, Lively. She's 10. And then Felicity is right under Brittany. She is eight. And then Bravery is six. And then Gloria is four. And, uh, and then that's our dog of 15 years. She's, she's a really old dog named Shelby, named after my favorite car, Shelby Mustang. And then uh, in my hands is Topo, and uh, Topo is named after, like, topographical map because uh, he's a mountain dog. He was born in the mountains. And so, yeah, that's our, that's our family. Um, we, like I said, we moved from Virginia Beach. I was a pastor in Virginia Beach, Virginia for uh, nine years. I started as a youth pastor and then became a campus pastor, and then I moved to Bozeman, Montana, and when I told my family that I was coming out here to visit, you know, we're going to be, I was praying with other pastors to talk about church planting, my oldest daughter started asking a lot of questions, and I think she was nervous, like, oh no, are we moving again to plant another church? 
And uh, the answer I told her was no, not unless God really leads us to, but I think we're going to be in Bozeman for a long time. So that's my family. I want to just share that with you. So uh, today, I would like to preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the reason I'm preaching from, from that passage is because I'm going to preach on it next week at my church. And so it's a great opportunity. If I'm going to prepare a sermon, I want to prepare, uh, you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And, um, so you guys, I'm going to test drive it on you. And then afterwards, you can tell me all the things I did wrong, and I'll tweak it for next week for my congregation. So, um, But honestly, as, as I was preparing, I was, funny enough, thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul says this, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Lord Jesus, that is my prayer today, that your name would be lifted up. Lord, I, I do come before this congregation, and I humbly recognize that, Lord, if, if I just preach on my own power, it's just going to fall, fall flat. And so, Lord, I, I pray that your word would work through this place in a powerful way. I, I pray that our hearts would be humbled this morning to receive from you what you want to say. May your spirit move in this place in a way that only you can. God, I pray that it wouldn't be any wise or persuasive words. Lord, I just come in fear and trembling, recognizing that if you don't work, Lord, this will be worthless. So we want you to work today, and we invite you to. We, we invite you to speak to us. We, we ask that you would transform us more into the likeness of Jesus so that when we leave this place, we'll be transformed and, and we can go and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. In your name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is about communion. It's actually about um, how the church should take communion. Paul is speaking to this group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And Corinth is a port city, and it was a very, very diverse place. And they were struggling, trying to figure out how they're supposed to operate as a church. And so 1 Corinthians is actually a letter response to a question, to a bunch of questions that the Corinthians had for Paul. And so we don't actually have the original question, you know, letter that they wrote to Paul asking all these questions. But based on Paul's letter, we can uh, understand some of the things that they're trying to deal with. And it seems like this church, they had a lot of struggles. There were just a lot of things they were trying to figure out. And imagine a culture where people have divergent views on things, right? Imagine a place where, you know, like people were polarized in their thinking, you know, can you imagine what it would be like to have this, like, world where there, there's different ideologies and different opinions about how things should operate? Even, can you imagine a church where people had differences of opinion as to how things were supposed to go? 
right? Um, this is the church that Paul lived in. Can you imagine a culture that was like overly sexualized where everything was just about sex? And, you know, can you imagine something like that's what, that's, that was a culture that the Corinthians were in. And so they're trying to figure things out. And, and not only that, but there, there are some like traditional thinkers. I think there's some, some Jewish people who, you know, had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and so these Jewish people, they had a framework for how church should probably look. It probably had a lot of, it was probably reminiscent of a lot of how they worshipped in the synagogue, right? And then there are these Greeks, these, these Gentiles, these other people who also accepted Christ, and they're joining the church, and they really didn't have that same kind of context. They thought about worship in a very different way. In fact, they were used to pagan worship. They were used to worshiping different gods and and uh, temple prostitution, and then all of a sudden they accept Christ, and they're trying to figure out, well, how do we operate? How do we worship this one God? How do we follow Jesus as a church? And so Paul is giving some instruction to the Corinthians, and what we find as we read through this letter is that they were, they were really struggling to be unified. They, they really had a hard time being one body, and Paul really wanted Paul really wanted to speak to that. And so he's bringing up communion. Now, we call it communion, but it actually goes by many names. Uh, You may have heard it called the table or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. And and here he's talking about how they actually partake. And so um, I'd like to read through the passage together with you. And for all who are willing and able, would you just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We're going to start in verse 17. He says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat eat at home, 
so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So, um, I, I think when it comes to preaching, I've heard it said that you should preach about as long as you, as, as long as you're, how do I say this? You should preach your age, basically, you know? So, uh, you know, if you're 25, you should pr- probably only preach about 25 minutes. You know, if you're uh, 36, like I am, 36 minutes, well, I'm going to try to impress you and be a little bit younger today than normal. Um, so, uh, you know, Steve, I think you preach, what, you did an hour? Two hours? <laughs> So we'll, we'll go a little bit shorter than Steve, but, um, but I do want to uh, talk about what communion connects. I want to talk about what it is, why we do it, and how we should practice it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to practice communion, and, um, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of freedom. I think the Word gives us a lot of freedom in how to do it. To, you know, this is one way to do it. Um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church when I was a little kid, and so we did something like that, except we'd actually pass those trays and take the little chiclets and, and the little shot glass, and we'd wait, you know, and then eat it. And I remember actually thinking on Sundays when we had communion, we did it four times a year. And I remember on those communion Sundays as a little kid, I'd be like, oh, man, this is going to be a longer Sunday. <laughs> you know, like we have something extra to add to church. And so I actually didn't have like a, a real excitement towards communion. Um, and, but, but that was always how we, how we took it. But um, I remember that my dad and I went to someone else's church. We had a friend of his who invited us to his church one Sunday. And so it was just me and my dad, and we went to this service. And it must have been like a Lutheran church or an Anglican church. I don't know because I was little. But I remember that there's this uh, pastor or priest who took, like, the, this little wafer, and he broke it. And, and then he had a cup of wine. And, and what they did is that they had everyone go down the center aisle. And so we were walking down the center aisle, and I was behind my big dad, you know, and I, I'm basically just looking at his butt, you know. I'm like, I'm walking, right, and I can't see anything but him, and, and he goes forward, and, and then I stand up there, and I'm all by myself, and there's no one else, like, to tell me what to do. And I look at this pastor, and he hands me this, like, wafer, and so I take the wafer, and I'm like, well, this is weird. So I, I eat it, because I think that's what we're supposed to do, and and then I'm following my dad, and I go over, and there's this person holding this cup of wine. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with that, you know? And I didn't see what my dad did because he was big and in front of me. And, and, and I just look at this person holding the wine, and I was like, and I dip my finger out, <laughs> and I just kept walking. <laughs> and the person's face, they're just like, like, I defiled their cup of wine. Like, I defiled the blood of the Lord. So um, there's different ways to take it. That's not really the way to take it, probably. I think you're supposed to dip it, you know, or, you know, maybe drink it. But there's different ways to do it. And, and Paul said, I think Paul was trying to point out that these Corinthians had made things a little complicated. In fact, they, they'd made communion too complicated, and he wanted to simplify and just give them some really clear, basic instructions. And we're thankful he did, because we're still using these instructions today. And in fact, I think communion is one of those sacred things that we do as a church. It's something really, uh, it's really powerful that we take communion together. In fact, it connects us in a way that, um, that, that, that's really amazing. And in fact, communion has, I, I believe, it's, it, it's probably safe to say that the church has been taking communion every single week in an unbroken chain since Jesus. 
I mean, this is one of the practices of the church. Now, not every church, I mean, you know, not every church takes communion every Sunday, but you, you know what I mean. Like, the church around the world, there's got to be some churches that are taking communion every single week, and it's been unbroken. And so this is a really cool thing that connects Christians together. But these early Christians, they didn't really understand it very much. In fact, there's this one word that Paul uses regularly in this passage. It's, it's come together. You'll see it in verse 17. He says, come together. Um, in 18, come together. In 19, come together. And in 33 and in 34, he says, come together five times in this passage. And the Greek word is sonerkestai. And it's, a, it's actually a stronger word than what we would say with, with come together. Like, it's more of like a join or um, like rejoin or connect. It, it, imagine you have your, like Steve, I think he, he had his arm disconnected once. Now, it didn't get chopped off, but his shoulder popped out, right? And now he's got a, he's got a screw to join it together. Like, that's, of course, the screw broke now, so he's got to get that fixed too. But, um, but it's, it's been rejoined. It's, you know, it's a powerful word, and what he's saying, when you guys come together, there's actually something really special about that. And he, he says it a lot, but what they're doing is they're coming together, and he says he hears there must be some sort of report that there's divisions among them, that there's actually factions among them, right? And factions are not good, just for the record. He says that there are factions and divisions among you. And he says when you come together, it's actually not the Lord's Supper that you eat, and and when they read that, that probably broke their heart. They probably realized, like, oh, man, that, that's some strong language that he's saying. Now, they took communion in a very different way. In, in their culture, what, what we're gathering here is that they probably packed their meal to, to bring together, and they were going to have, like, sort of a potluck. Except instead of a potluck, they, they weren't sharing all their food. They sort of brought their own lunchbox and ate out of their own lunchbox. And there's this great socioeconomic diversity in this church. There's rich people and there's poor people. There's, there are those who are wealthy and there's the working class. And what seemed to have been happening is that the more well-to-do people, they were bringing their food and they're having great food and fine wine. And they're even getting you know, full and drunk with one another. And if you're a working class, well, you don't get a chance to show up at the same time as the wealthy because you're out in the field still working. And so they show up late, and maybe they don't even have enough money to bring food with them. And so they come to the table, and they're really hungry. And Paul's saying, you're despising the church of God, humiliating those who have nothing? He's like, should I commend you in this? Of course not. He's like, how are you so blind to those around you? How can you not see that, that there's a discrepancy with how you're treating one another? You're called to be one body, and yet you're being really divided. And so in verse 23, he starts to explain a little bit more. He said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that, on the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And so he, he begins to explain this feast. And this is the what of communion. It's really powerful. So do we remember when Jesus actually had the Lord's Supper with his disciples? It was in the upper room, right? In fact, Paul tells us on the night that he was betrayed. So what were they celebrating in the upper room? Does anyone remember the special time of the year? Passover, right? And so if we go actually way back 
we can look at the Passover and see what kind of meal they were having. So the Passover was something that came out of the Exodus. And when Moses goes to free, or he goes to speak to the Pharaoh, these, Egypt, or these Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And they, you, you know, they have these plagues that uh, plague all these Egyptians. And, and the very last plague was the angel of death would sweep through the town or sweep through Egypt at night. And so the, Moses gave the people, through, through God's instruction, some very clear and important instructions for that night. They were to get a lamb, and it, it was supposed to be an unblemished lamb, a perfect and pure lamb. And the Israelites were supposed to kill that lamb, and they're supposed to eat that lamb for dinner. And they're supposed to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes. And when the angel of death was going to come and bring judgment, they would have, the, the angel of death would pass over that home. You see, how are the Israelites supposed to escape this judgment of God? How, how are they supposed to escape this judgment? Well, they use a Passover lamb, and the blood of that lamb is what saves th- their firstborn child. And so Moses instructs the Israelites to always celebrate this Passover, to never forget how God showed them grace and mercy because of the blood of the Lamb. And so here, Jesus is, fast forward to Jesus being with his disciples, and they're in this upper room, and they're having a Passover meal. So imagine that these Israelites, these Jewish people, they're sitting there, they're remembering how God had showed them uh, mercy through this, through this act of the Passover. Except there's something missing in this meal. It's not, it's not a lamb that Jesus feeds them. What does he do? He takes his body and blood. He takes this bread and wine. And he says, eat this. <laughs> Drink this. And Jesus is saying, I am the lamb. I am the one who takes away your sin. I am the one who frees you. And so Paul reminds them of this. He says in verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, in, uh, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion, it connects us. It connects the present to the past. And it reminds us of our rich history that we have all the way back to the Exodus. And it reminds us, too, of how we are connected to the body of believers all around the world. And it connects us with God. It, it, it gives us this connection with God in this incredible way where we get a chance to remember the sacrifice of Jesus in a real tangible way. And I really appreciate that because I'm a tangible person. I mean, like, I like hugging people and shaking hands. And, and there's something about that. It's not, just, it's not just this thing in our minds. Like, we actually get a chance to, to eat and think about Jesus in a really tangible way. And it connects us with one another. And this is where... Paul was instructing the Corinthians because they weren't connected. They were disconnected. And so he actually gives them a warning. He says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
And I remember thinking, what does it mean to be uh, eating it in an unworthy manner? And, I, and as a kid, that really scared me because it actually talks about uh, you know, falling asleep or dying. And I, as a kid, I was like, I am so terrified. If I eat communion today and I haven't examined every single sin that I've committed, I'm going to die. <laughs> right? Like, that was a terrifying thought to have. And, and I realize as I'm studying this passage that, that, that a lot of times we take this and interpret it in a very individualistic way. Like, oh, well, I need to make sure I examine all my sins or else I'm going to or, or else I'm going to experience, you know, some sort of weakness or illness or maybe even death. And, and yes, I think there is an element in communion for us to consider our own sin and confess our sin. That's, a, that's absolutely important, and, and it would be unworthy for us to take communion without having confessed our sin. But really, in the context of this, what Paul is saying is, is that we as a community, we as a church, need to examine ourselves. And if we have a grudge against a brother or a sister— we shouldn't take communion. In fact, if there are divisions within the body, we need to go address that first before we actually take communion because communion is about community, about communing with one another and communing with Christ. And so how can we commune with Christ and with one another if there's a division or a faction within the body? And so we really, as Christians, should be examining our hearts, examining ourselves. Is there anybody that I have anything that needs to be reconciled? Is there any kind of reconciliation that needs to happen? Now, if you are here today and you took communion, you're like, Grant, why did, you take, why did we take communion before the message? Like, I really should have like, thought about this before I took communion. And, you know, um, I believe there's grace. Jesus can cover that sin. And, and if you need to be reconciled with a brother or sister, go do that after the service, right? Pray that the Lord would help you with that reconciliation. But, uh, but ask God to forgive you for that. Th- this is not something where it's like a one and done, man, I'm, I really missed it up. Like, there's grace. God will forgive you as you ask him for forgiveness. But here Paul is instructing, this is how we take communion. We, we reconcile before we actually take communion because it's symbolic of us being connected. We're coming together. We're joining together in a really significant way. And so for application... Who is it that you would not want to see walk through those doors back there? Is there anybody that you're holding a grudge grudge toward? Especially if it's a believer. Do you have a grudge against a believer? Is there somebody that you intentionally don't want to sit by on a Sunday morning because you don't want to have to talk about those difficult things? These are the kinds of things that we as a church should be thinking about. Are there anybody... Is there anybody that you treat differently based on, on them and their socioeconomic level? Like, maybe you're someone who doesn't make a lot of money, and there's someone who does make a lot of money, and you don't really like talking with them because you feel out of place. You know, is there, is there, is there all sorts, of, you know, are there differences when it comes to your political beliefs, and, and that becomes more important than your belief in Christ? Where are the divisions within the body, and And how can we instead look at one another as children of God and being part of one single body? Verse 33, he says, My brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. 
You see, communion doesn't only remind us of the past. It also is a foreshadowing of the future where we will have a feast together with the body of believers in heaven. And you might find yourself sitting next to that person that you don't want to sit next to in eternity, having a feast with the Lord. And so we want to make sure that we have taken the time to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to to surrender this grudge that I have against someone. Or help me, Lord, to connect with this person I really struggle to connect with. Lord, we don't want to we don't want to be judged for the way we love one another. Instead, we actually want to come together in unity and community. And we want to celebrate the future that we have in eternity with you, Lord. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And I want us to consider um, if there's any kind of, as the band's come up, I want us to consider, is there anyone that you're struggling to, struggling to commune with? Is there anybody that you would have a hard time being in communion with. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the Lord's Supper and how it's just a reminder of your sacrifice. Lord, how the Lord's Supper is a a reminder of the Passover, but even more so, it's a reminder of your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, and how you gave it to us to be united with you and united with other believers. And I thank you for this specific church. Lord, I thank you for Creekside, and I thank you for the leadership of the pastors here. And I thank you for the heart of the people. And, and as I've been here, it's just been so incredible to see the hunger for your word. As everybody I've talked to has just seemed to be excited to be here and excited to, to receive from you. And I thank you that your word fills us up. And I pray that as we go forward this week, that we continue to be filled by your word. And I thank you for the communion that we've been able to share with today. And so, Lord, we worship you and we continue on in worship through singing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, thanks, Grant. As as you were speaking, I was just thinking in just how, like, critical it is that we heed those words, you know, not, not even because of the, the warning there in 1 Corinthians, but because of the mission of the gospel, you know, like Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, uh, since there is one bread, I mean, Paul says this, I'm sorry, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. Like that's, that's one of the things that we testify here is that our unity is found in Christ and in him alone, not on all the other things that we, we make it about. So I appreciate that that good word. And, and Jesus prayed like shortly after that instituting the Lord's Supper, he prayed for his disciples and he prayed that they may be one, even as he and the Father are one. And then he says this, so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them. You know, and without, without us heeding those words, Grant, like that Grant shared with us, like Jesus gives the world the right to probably say that God doesn't, didn't send Jesus, didn't love them if we can't even love each other. So, Um, Let me just close our time in prayer, and then uh, we'll dismiss. Father, I just thank you for uh, your word and that you are building your church here in McMinnville and in Montana and in Wyoming and in the Czech Republic and Bangladesh and throughout the whole rest of the world. And and like Grant said, that your people have been gathering um, since you were here and remembering your 
your life and your death and your resurrection on our behalf. And so, Father, I just ask that as we leave here this morning that we would live in a way that honors you and honors the sacrifice of your son um, for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.